This is Kevin Conroy, and you're listening to The Drift Space. Uh, are we rolling? We're rolling, no. right? No, no we're, we're not rolling. Jared, you remember? No. Uh, remember? Remember that Papa Roach album, uh, Paramore Sessions, back in the mid two thousands? Of course, the one with uh, "To Be Loved." Yeah, the soundtrack to my life. Yes, to your life, right? Okay, so I have a theory relating it to this movie. Uh, so Metfees, I think, just sat in his quarters with earbuds listening to I devise my own demise on repeat. <laughs> he felt that was too on the nose and switched to mantra by bring me the horizon. Meanwhile, uh, he does over there listening to uh, my heart is a fist. Well, speaking of early two thousands or late nineties or two thousands music, right. We have vertical horizons, their first uh, big album. I'm blanking on what it was. But they had that song, you're a god and I am not. (laughs) (laughs) We really, okay, we really need to, we need a Metfees playlist. I think we'd all find something to enjoy on it, knowing our musical tastes. I'm, I'm personally sensing a lot of Nine Inch Nails, which is right up my alley. (laughs) Dave, what, what are you feeling (laughs) is most played on Spotify? (laughs) Uh, The day the whole world went away. (laughs) <laughs> i got it i got it insane clown posse <laughs> icp action i can totally see met peas or i can out some icp <laughs> jr I'm, I'm, I'm thinking uh a little tears for fears everybody wants to rule the world uh, he didn't want to rule it though he just wanted it gone <laughs> all right uh, well all right maybe that wasn't the one i was th- What's the Johnny Darko? Oh, uh, Mad World. Mad, Mad World. World. Yeah. 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 There, there's. <laughs> and you know, honorable mention to anything and everything by The Cure. Thank you. Yeah. yeah that was... <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, what are you thinking? I just stated, uh, I think the day the whole world went away. Yeah, that's Nine Nails. Yeah. Okay. Nine All right. We'll, we'll, we'll make, we'll, we'll put together a Metfees playlist after all this. I can imagine a Haruo or Mayana just walking in and and seeing Metfees and earbuds just singing away whatever songs coming up next. I'm just I just pictured them staring at him like, "What are you doing?" So, <laughs> but they can't yeah, hear sorry. it, so they don't know his plan. You know, he's got the hair for it too. He he could like air guitar out like in his quarters. Like, cut my life into pieces. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yep. Last resort. Last resort. Yeah. yeah last resort. Jeez. Welcome to the Drift Space. I am G. <laughs> On a hell of an intro. Oh, oh yeah, we're we're <laughs> yeah. We're, we're doing a podcast. We're, we're on a Dave. podcast, yeah. <laughs> professionals. Yes. Because, because professionals. <laughs> I am JR. <laughs> we have a girl in here somewhere. Uh, are you sure? Oh hi, I'm Rebecca. How you doing? <laughs> So enthusiastic. So enthusiastic today. I know. 
Uh, and this episode, we are finally finishing our Godzilla anime trilogy series with Godzilla, the Planet Eater. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes in the series covering Godzilla, Planet of the Monsters, and Godzilla City on the Edge of Battle with our friends from Monsters vs. Men, I highly recommend going back and listening to those episodes. But in this one, in this one, uh, Haruo's Ahab-inspired quest for revenge comes to uh, quite an end when the the Exif expand their cult to the hopeless survivors of Godzilla's attack in the last two films. Uh, Metfees shows his true colors by explaining to Haruo that his hatred is what's needed to summon their god and destroy Godzilla along with the rest of humanity and the uh, Hatua. As Godzilla struggles to land a single blow on the Exif god, King Ghidorah, uh, Haruo fights Metfees' brainwashing, an act that could wipe Earth from the galaxy. Yeah, I don't think my synopsis really scratches any of the very thick paint in this movie. There's a whole lot here. JR, let's start with you. Oh, joy. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's a lot. Uh, when we first started covering this movie, I didn't see the uh, Exif going this route. I didn't mm -hmm. plan on their religion turning into a cult. You know, for a minute there, I thought, you know, they were literally drinking the blood of uh, what's-her-name. But then I saw her on the uh, sacrifice. I was like, oh, okay. They're not... They didn't kill her and put her in soup and everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid. But they are still drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, uh, they, <laughs> they are definitely drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you know, it's... I didn't get as much out of it the first time I watched it, but the second time I was just like, so they're basically just taking this one event and using it to their advantage, even though they full know full well that it wasn't faith that saved them from the uh, Bill Saluda's nanotech. And I don't know how to go on with that. There's a lot here. It's a lot to kind there of is, there mine is. through. We might have to kind of take it a few topics at a time as as we uh talk about it um dave what are, what are your thoughts so you keep on talking about how there's a lot to mine here i had to i had to watch this movie twice mm -hmm. actually the first time i fell asleep so this <laughs> 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 it didn't it didn't really do much i it didn't really do much for me i'm not saying there's nothing there i just didn't do a whole lot for me i liked you know, I kind of liked the the concept of Metfees in his own little Jonestown, um, mm -hmm. being you know Jim Jones to these people in a way, summoning the Great Golden Noodle, which is a really interesting take on on Ghidorah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a, a bunch of golden spaghetti. That's kind of what it looked like to me. The golden ramen. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Uh, but what I will say, and I don't think this is something unique to this film in particular, but it certainly is accentuated due to the lack of brawl and you get to explore the philosophies a little bit more behind it. I did like that it gave you more time to sit with this idea of how far will we go to conquer something, to be the very, to be the best. Not trying to bring Pokemon into this, but you know, 
the extent that you would actually go to to lose your own humanity, I guess, to lose that respect for life to the point where these people are uh, worshiping this God that would inevitably destroy everything. Something that I do want to talk about that actually made me very, it didn't sit right with me. It didn't sit right with me at all. Was Her- Haruto, Naruto, Her- Haruto? Haruto. Haru, that's I always miss, miss <laughs> up his name. We've done three pod, this is our third podcast on this guy, and I'm still like Naruto. Is that <laughs> why? Why? Why take the Valkyrie? Why the Valkyrie? <laughs> I, I, I don't. I'd like the like the homeboy. It, like his friend worked on that so hard in time of peace. He's like, hey, we got. We we actually have like a means of transportation. You we could go zippy zippy around this around Earth now. It'll be a grand old time. And Haru was like, "Thanks, G. I'm gonna go blow it up and kill myself." <laughs> 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 Thanks for all the hard work that you did. <laughs> Let me destroy it. And I thought that was like a very very selfish. And I can that, that kind of speaks to you know where he was at. At that point in time, like his hatred, his unwavering hatred towards Godzilla to the point where he has zero regard for anyone else. Interesting. I would actually argue that that act was the most selfless that he made in the entire three movies. I have to agree. I'd have to disagree. I'm I'm on the fence with Dave, actually. Well, all right. Well, let's back up here. I mean, let's start with. He mentioned the monsters. This whole trilogy aren't the typical versions of the monsters that we're used to. And I love that. You know, I love in the prior movie, Mechagodzilla was this like, uh, became this AI growing and expanding. Uh, and it really became a virus to the planet. Uh, King Ghidorah went beyond being a space monster to going to another dimension, being an extra dimensional energy being and, you know, contorting his physical form when he reached our dimension uh, and Mothra, Mothra can communicate outside the egg. Will she ever hatch? We don't know. Uh, she's, she's given her people the ability to communicate with another. And that seems to be enough for right now. Uh, it, it, and it's interesting how each monster represents a God to certain people. And they have like religions or cults sort of built around them or fear built around them. And, and one of my favorite things about the second movie was how hypocritical the Bill of Saluto were to the Exif. They mocked the Exif for their religion, but really the Bill of Saluto's religion was the worship of their technology, nanometal, Mechagodzilla. It was no different. They were just blind to it. And by the third movie, it's pretty clear that the Exif act more as a cult than a religion sort of feeding on people's fears and hopelessness. You know, one, one of the more popular cultists that has received attention in recent years is uh, Osho Ranish, uh, who set up a, a commune in Oregon years ago. And according to his followers at the time, brought a lot of peace and prosperity to uh, the lives of those um, around him. And of course, there's no way you can't think of the EXIF without relating it back to Jonestown as Dave, as you, you brought up. Um, because as JR said, this, this movie literally has a drink the Kool-Aid moment that results in the near extermination of what's left of humanity. 
And so, you know, Godzilla, Mechagodzilla, King Ghidorah were, were all perceived as gods and, and worshipped out of arrogance and fear. And Mothra is the only one worshipped that doesn't require a violent sacrifice from her people. She's benevolent. She doesn't require death. Uh, the sacrifice she requests but does not require is communication with one another. Uh, the telepathy. She she was she was the antithesis of all these sort of gods. And unlike Godzilla and Mechagodzilla and King Ghidorah, she never got physically involved. She was either above all that or felt she had given her people the tools needed to save the day. Uh, I guess faith faith in her people. I guess is how you could put it. She's not being used to justify negative attributes and. Like Haruo's hatred, uh, the Bella Saluda's arrogance, or the Exif's nihilism, which are all these kind of like negative forces that are bringing these characters to their knees, Mothra was the only one that gave them the means to communicate with Haruo and, you know, expand uh, some sort of peace. And Rebecca, and we'll, we'll sidestep, we'll kind of come back to Dave's qualms here, but Rebecca, Mothra as a character was heavily inspired by and based on Judeo-Christian tradition in uh, the novella that she was based on. And I get, I think this was probably the best place to go for you. Do you think there are attributes, uh, those attributes are found in her here? And do you have any thoughts on why Mothra as a deity worked better than the others. Does she play a part in why the Hatua have survived where the humans and Bill Saludo and Exif have not? Um, that's a bold question there. Um, uh, I have written notes on that one. You caught me by surprise. Uh, got her. <laughs> got her. Mark your calendar. Thank you. Well, I like to think it, it reminds me a lot of how how the Jews responded to God and how God responded back to the, to the Jews and how they're the chosen people and learning from history and the Bible. A lot of civilizations were, were wiped out throughout, throughout the centuries. However, the, however, the Jews were uh, survived to, to this day. And from what I've learned, it's not because they were, they were chosen. It's because they responded back to God and they had, sort of intimacy they have a, a true unbreakable bond unbreakable covenant with god because they survived this long and i think that's a i think that parallels with or mirrors with Hotu, with the hotuo and mothra how they how they were able to telepathically communicate with mothra through their hearts one of the twins i believe was miana who Asked Metfees, how are you able to uh, communicate with humans without looking into their hearts? And Metfees says, I don't have to because their emotions always reveal a lot about themselves. And which is really cold in a way because Metfees uh, telepathically uses his telepathy with his mind while the Hotuos use their hearts blessed by Mothra, basically. So uh, do you understand what I'm am I getting anywhere with this? Yeah, no, I think you've made some interesting points, particularly the point that, you know, the the Hebrews, Jews, they it, they're not they weren't chosen because they were, you know, handpicked. They were chosen because they're considered the chosen people because they responded. They used communication. Yes, they used communication. They had an intimacy. They were they were yeah. intimacy with with God. Basically. I, I've never thought about that. And that's that does kind of reflect back to in this movie is that they use the communication, they use the intimacy 
to communicate not just with Mothra, but with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Communication is a gift and it's a power. And that power is essentially what saved the day. So that it's kind of interesting you drew that parallel. I've I've never heard that before. Yeah, I had to dig that up without using any notes. Thanks for that. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so uh there are so many biblical references, obviously. As a Catholic, I hit the jackpot. So going back uh to what I <laughs> <laughs> Making dad proud, I see. All right. Yeah, uh, yeah kind of. So, so going back to what I said in our previous episodes, how one puts too much faith in one's own pride, we established that humanity's downfall was from deep-rooted hatred and obsessed vengeance, and that the Billo Salute... How do you say them? Billo Saludos. God, I'm, there you go. I'm glad they're gone. <laughs> 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 we won't miss you. It's so hard to pronounce what they are. <laughs> your your name is too difficult. I'm glad you're dead. <laughs> Not you deserve to die. <laughs> anyway, and, and the Bill of Saludos depended too much on their technology in Mechagodzilla City by throwing away their own individualities and becoming monsters themselves, or simply put, Communism 101. There you go. All of this to kill Godzilla. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm not wrong. (laughs) Now, how did the Exivs execute their plan? Possibly what I think is the darkest and most sickening methods, building up trust with the vulnerable and broken and killing them for their god of death, Ghidorah. Basically, as everybody's mentioned, the Exes worship death and oblivion, making them a cult of nihilism in the guise of, of a hopeful religion. And it's something I learned throughout my life, is that religion has always been man-made, but faith has always come from God. And I personally think that this film was telling us that strict organized religion, more specifically anyone who uses religion for their own personal gain becomes blinding, cold, and deceitful. And Metfi's convinced people that the humans who were not affected by the nanometal um, meant it was divine intervention from quote-unquote God, when in truth it was the Hotuo's treatment that protected them. Of course, Metfi's knew that and kept that info from his followers in order for them to be sacrificed. He convinced Haro that his hatred for Godzilla would mediate into Ghidorah coming to Earth, basically making Haro a somewhat messiah in Metfi's eyes, or I, singular. It kind of... (laughs) (laughs) It kind of reminded me in the book of Luke where Jesus withdrew from the crowd after he was getting popular to be alone and be intimate with God, which is what Haro did. He wanted to be alone with something that's tangible and real before things got out of hand. So he talked with the twins and became intimate with one of them. And I, I liked how the Hotuos are the opposite side of the spectrum of the, with the Exivs. As I mentioned before, I think they parallel a lot with uh, the Hebrew Jews. And they give a much warmer, more peaceful, and more personal, intimate view of how they see life. And they even view as sex as something sacred and personal by calling it to connect life. 
it was the twins, Miana Maina, who mentioned that to win is to live and to lose is to die. And I think I think Haro did both after he defied Metfiz's words and killing him and eventually Ghidorah as well. Haro was able to live momentarily. We we see him with one of the twins that is pregnant with his child and later marries her, but he also carried Ghidorah's and humanity's past vanities and pride and mistakes. So, Dave, this is where I'm, I disagree with you about whole vulture, destroying the vulture thing, but personally, in order for humanity to be reborn, the past had to die. So Haro, the vulture, and a vegetative Yuko all had to die by Godzilla's hands, which made sense because Godzilla embodied the result of mankind's mistakes and apathy. Thus, in the end, as in the post-credits, this made Haruro a god of wrath that the future of humanity worships. I mentioned before from the last two movies that it was about pride and how low it can bring us, but I feel like this, is, this one here is also about rebirth and a reminder that people can change for the better, but you have to let go of your old habits, obviously. See, Dave can appreciate uh, letting the past die because he's a fan of The Last Jedi. <laughs> oh! And this has been a drift space, y'all. <laughs> that wasn't really a jab, by the way. I'd... Are you kidding me? I got the jab from Tennessee. <laughs> I just have to say, Rebecca, when you were like, when Jesus was getting popular, I'm glad I was on mute because all I could think about was how many followers did he have? And I got like this idea in my head of Jesus turning water into wine on like a YouTube channel and be like, don't forget to like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, I'll be live streaming baptisms. (laughs) (laughs) I think I think for me, like. Haruo was a coward in my mind. That this is just my opinion. Like the the, the actual courageous thing that to to be done in that situation is to learn to cope with your like try to understand your hate. Try to work through that and come to a place of mm. understanding. And that's something I and for, for someone that had been living with the Hotua for how how long? Like their entire religion is about seeking to understand, seeking to know their God. And you think a little bit of that would have rubbed off on him and be like, okay, I need to seek to understand myself and my own hatred, seek to understand God- Godzilla. But he doesn't do that. He just, he just, he just nopes his way out of there instead of doing the courageous thing and the courageous and more difficult thing than taking the vulture into uh, kamikazing it into Godzilla. And I think that's where I have my biggest problem with that. Like that's the kind of leader that he could have been. And it was very disappointing to me. You just took the words right out of my mouth, Dave. I mean, especially with Rebecca making that point about if this is about a movie that people can change uh, their ways and turn into something new that would have been in my opinion that would have been the message of the movie that you know he actually learns to overcome his hatred and coexist because 
like you were saying, the the Hotua's religion is all about peace and understanding and and almost dying to oneself for something greater. You know what you know what I'm saying? So it, it seemed very selfish to me that he was just like, oh, everybody's trying to help me, but I'm going to be dark and emo. Let's blow Godzilla. <laughs> I've seen more backbone in Shinji. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely in Rebecca's camp here because like, we're, we're you guys are talking about like the, the brave thing would be to do is to change. Okay, great. But what if you can't? I mean, some people can't, you know, the Huuto had no word for hate and Haru carried a sense of aggression and hatred with him that couldn't exist if humanity, such as it was, were to move on. And he also realized that the technological strides left over in the Vulture and what's, what was left of Yuko, uh, as well as his own passionate hatred toward Godzilla, would restart a cycle that could potentially summon King Ghidorah again in the distant, distant future. King Ghidorah was just a manifestation of his hatred, and the nanometal were, were remnants of, of technological arrogance. And so in ridding the Hatua of himself, maybe humanity had a fighting chance to take a different evolutionary path and at the very least avoid the return of King Ghidorah wiping out another planet from the cosmos. Preach. You know, it, it, it's, it's idealistic, and, and I, I get that. Uh, but I personally, I love the idea of a character that has to come to terms with his hatred, that his hatred is going to eat him and everyone around him. And the thing is, some people just can't change. You know, we, we always see the story where a character has an, a realization and then a change of heart and he turns a new leaf. But uh, whereas Haruo has that realization, he doesn't have the change of heart, which I do find fairly realistic. I mean, you say, how long was he, he with the... Uh, Hauta, well, his his child hadn't even been born yet, so just a few months. He doesn't believe he can change, and as a result, he's a threat to the peace around him. He wants to protect the peace around him, so he removed himself from the equation. And you know, Planet Eater isn't the first anime story I've seen to suggest removing aggressive heroes that threaten peace. Uh, JR, Gundam Wing Endless Waltz also engages in the discussion of what to do with soldiers in a world that doesn't need them, should peace exist. And in the end, there, there are, of that particular story, in the end, there are the soldiers who can't accept being tossed aside, so they start wars again. And then there are soldiers who accept that their job is done and leave anyone and anything that, might, that they might taint that perfect peace with. I, no, I see what you're saying because... I just finished uh, Clone Wars, and I'm getting into Rebels, where Rex has, you know, he's he's left everybody alone because he's a soldier, and all he knows is how to fight. The difference I see here is Rex. Rex knows there there's another way. What I see in Hiro Haruto, whatever his name is, uh, he's just throwing his life away. Because he sees himself as nothing but an instrument of hatred. And I just, coming from a background of which I do, going back to the religion, all life is precious. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but our religion says that too. All life is precious. You shouldn't throw it away. 
And yeah, you, but at the same time, you, you we, can you can use your past trauma to help others. We we also are uh, you know we have a a faith based around a person, character, deity who also died for a bunch of people. So I mean, we say all life is precious, but we we also circle it around this death. You know. Yes, but uh, the the other difference is that later on in the post credit scene, he was revered as a god of wrath. And I'm not sure how to take that. I'll be honest. I don't know if that means he failed or if he his memories just you know instilled as something that you know if they all their fears and hatred they can just you know hand over to him as a deity now i don't know i'm just saying i struggle with it because you know we know jesus as a loving caring sacrificial lamb so because of all the stuff he's done and with with harita or whatever his name is i don't care haruo yes haro you know people people only saw the hatred in him and that's why he's revered as a god of wrath, where he could have just completely changed his life and been like, oh, hey, look at all the bad he's done. And look at look at him being mad at everybody, but look at the change he's still doing, even though he sees that in himself. I want to point out something uh, briefly. I've also learned that back in a feudal Japan, uh, even... To, up to World War II, uh, the Japanese have always viewed honor as as the greatest thing ever. And if and if they've done something that has tainted their honor, they have to commit seppuku. And I feel and I, I feel like uh, the the Japanese uh, they they're very they're very intimate and very personal about their viewship with honor. It kind of like how we are with with God. I feel like that's what Haruro did. He he felt he did not feel worthy to be in the presence uh, of the Hotuos or or Mothra. So because he embodied so much hatred, which is very like JJ says, very foreign to them and he had to get rid of it in order future of humanity to survive. It reminds me of the the line that stuck with me was that and I, I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember it exactly. Was I? He, I need to leave before you understand what the word hate means. Yes, exactly. And I get like, like they're trying to present it that way, but it was I. I, I saw it as a almost a blatant refusal on his part to to go another way, to take another path. I saw it like there there was that option out there, and he refused it. It would have been more difficult than flying the only vulture that they had into Godzilla. You have to understand that Haro wasn't thinking of himself. He was thinking of the Hotuos and and the future mankind as like I said, that's probably it was probably the self the most selfless thing he's done. I don't I think I think we're gonna cons- consistently be at an impasse. <laughs> on this okay. I, I just do not see it that way okay. and if you're gonna kill yourself why take the only vulture if it was truly a selfless act just just stroll up to godzilla no you could probably get use- rid of the technology too though that was also the point because mm. there's okay so the vulture had the nanometal and so did yuko 
And when he had that vision of Metfees come back to him, that's when it all hit him that it was going to restart the cycle that would eventually lead to another harvest. Cycle doesn't come from things. It comes from people. It comes from ideas. It and comes how they from use a them. change within. And how they and use them. Yeah, and how they would use them. So it yes. requires a paradigm shift on their part. He refused to take that paradigm shift. Well, but who's to say that that would stick years later? See, there's, there's a theory known as the great filter, which suggests there are certain steps in the evolutionary path that lead to the observation of the universe. And if one of those steps is still ahead of us, we could potentially hit a wall in which our evolutionary process fails to get beyond. And, and, and the greatest likelihood is instead we, we destroy ourselves by our own devices, whether it be by war or lack of resources due to misuse or whatever. And one, one piece of technology, as an example, that Metfees used was nuclear pro- proliferation warfare. Tying, of course, tying the series back to uh, nuclear proliferation as one example for why humanity is in the sorry state that it's in in the film. But the point he, he's trying to make is humanity has caused their own suffering via all these like centuries of growth. Since a theory like the Great Filter or other evolutionary apocalyptic ideas from scientists and philosophers exist, it's best to just wipe the pain from the cosmos and harvest, as they call it, the suffering from via King Ghidorah. At least that, that, was, that was the Exif's way of dealing with it, was that you simply need to you know, get rid of anything that could cause this kind of suffering from the universe. It was a very Thanos thing to do. So we're going to kill the only guy that has that insight on the planet anymore? I think that Metfees tends to blame the technological progression as self-defeating. And the Bell Saluto certainly represented that in the former movie. And Hadruo destroying every last remnant of the nanometal is, it could be considered anti-progressive. And I get that. And you know, is it is it merely playing out a theory like the Great Filter, or is it trying to say technology is going to hurt us no matter what? And in this particular case, I think that Haruo just wanted to take anything out of the equation that could lead it down, lead humanity or what's left of it down the same path to King Ghidorah. I don't think that taking the vulture was, haha, you built this, I'm gonna blow it up. I think it was very intentional to keep humanity from using that tech tech that was established as extraordinarily dangerous in the prior film and and get rid of it i have no problem with him destroying the tech that that's fine with me the part i struggle with is like dave says you know let's so let's kill the only guy who can preach against tate uh, you know and what he's seen firsthand it do to other people you know hate and fear brought Ghidorah. So let's let's kill him so everybody can learn to fear and hate again. And he can be like, no, no, let's not do that. Let's, let's not drink Kool-Aid. Well, I don't think this is exactly he wasn't brainwashed. This was his own act. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying he was brainwashed. I'm saying he's the only one that has, you know, firsthand experience of this trauma. And yes, that's trauma he carries with him. So later on, he could preach against it if it ever arose again, because now we've got, you know, we still have some humans, we still have, and you know, who, who's to say they won't have fears or biased against the way these other P 
people that lived here longer before us, you know, think. Dave's right. We're going to be here a while. Well, yeah, but it's also... <laughs> it, it's an interesting conversation, though, because it comes down to... I mean, and Dave, you think... You're you're under the assumption right now with the character that he, he didn't even try. And I don't think that's true, because he was living with them for a while. It wasn't until... Uh, the vision that of Metfi's returned to his head kind of painted a picture that this could happen again. Change takes time, though. Yeah, it does take time, but so does a self-destructive evolutionary path. And I don't think he was going to wait around to you know let that happen again. I mean, if the message is that Haru has lost faith in humanity, then I get that. <laughs> I don't think he did, though. I think I think he was simply trying to. It, it, that's this is why I think it's a very hopeful message. A lot of people have said, "Man, it's a very nihilistic ending." But in fact, I think he had hope that uh, the Hotua's way of life could work. That removing his hatred from the equation was the best way to make it work. Because everyone else had let go. All the other humans, all the other uh, members of the atrium had let go. He was the only one. I also want to point out it. I'm not sure it has anything to do with it, but when Haro saw a vision of Mothra that helped him free from Metfis' clutches, I, that also reminded me in, a, in the Bible how God told Moses he would not enter the promised land, but he will be able to see it. And I'm not sure, but I think Haro um, actually was given a glimpse of a bright future for humanity, but... I don't think he was going to be able to live through it. He just saw a glimpse through Mothra. And I like to think that was the reason Haruro smiled right before Godzilla killed him, because he knew that humanity would survive and be okay. Right. It wasn't that he was at peace. It's that humanity was at peace. Right. It's what I took away from it, certainly. And this, guys, this comes up back to lots of stories. You know, I mentioned Gundam Wing, Hiro Yui. He, he could not be with Relina Peacecraft because... He was a soldier, so he he left well enough alone, and he just discarded himself from any further socio politics involved in the world because he felt he you know he would screw it up. Let's let's talk about John Rambo for a second here. He goes back into the world. He tries to reintegrate himself. Uh, he just doesn't fit in that world anymore. So what does he do? He goes back to what he knows. He goes back to what you know won't hurt the world that he's trying that he tried to reintegrate into he goes back to the war there there's a lot of cases where there's a a person or a character or a myth that makes the hard decision the hard sacrifice to essentially separate themselves from others so those others can propagate uh in harmony and i i that's why i take away with haruo's sacrifice here who knew that me Dave, would, be, would spark such a lengthy discussion about a Godzilla movie. <laughs> As GJ said earlier, mark your calendar. <laughs> it's interesting points. I don't. I, I don't know. I, I just don't share the same fundamental. I. I, I just don't share it. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting points i can see it but I, I i'm still in the he's kind of yeah you know my thoughts mm-hmm. i don't want to talk in circles anymore though there's plenty more to talk about with this movie like how pretty it was it was a very pretty movie 
Uh, it was probably the best looking movie of the three films. I still have an issue with the animation, but it was. I, I think it was the best looking of the three movies. I think. I think the the golden color tone and whatnot really helped out. I'm sure a lot of Godzilla fans out there will call me a heretic or something else to their liking for saying this, but I honestly did not mind Ghidorah's design. Doing something creatively different with original characters is not necessarily a bad thing. It just gives others different perspectives of what they would be like. I mean, for example, in the new 52 Teen Titans, I hated Raven's new look, but I also thought it was kind of clever. I thought the Super Saiyan 4 and Dragon Ball GT design looked kind of gross with all of that body fur and eyeliner, but I like the idea of circling back (laughs) to deep Saiyan roots with the tail and Uzaru thing, and of course the hair. I absolutely loathed everything about M. Night's The Last Airbender movie, but I like the costume designs. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but the costumes were all right. Yeah, exactly. See? <laughs> I think, you know, uh, there are visions in the movie that people have of King Ghidorah. In some dimension, King Ghidorah seems to have his body, but when he exits that dimension, he can contort himself enough to look completely different. See, and I'm with you. That's what I was thinking. If Hara did indeed sacrifice himself for Ghidorah, Ghidorah's form would fully emerge. Because they kept having the vision of him with the wings and the legs. So I was just like, oh, okay, so he's, if he sacrifices himself to Ghidorah, then Ghidorah becomes the monster we all know. I don't know if he was ever going to become the monster we all know, or if he just simply exists as that and something else. Because, I mean, Ghidorah was winning against Godzilla. I mean, he had no reason to form anything oh, I else. Know, I know he, he had was... no reason. I'm just saying it was like, this isn't even my final form. <laughs> Maybe. Plus, that was like the only film out of all the three where Godzilla is actually fighting another monster. So, And I liked the fight, honestly. There, there's a lot of fans out there that didn't in, like the fight because it's not very kinetic or whatnot. But here's the deal. I like battles when there's when there's high stakes involved and there were some very high stakes involved with Godzilla's battle with King Ghidorah. Whereas I, I couldn't tell you why Godzilla and Kong were fighting. I think Godzilla blew up his throne chair. Um, (laughs) On a dramatic level, it speaks to me more when the monsters are fighting for something just, just high stakes involved. I, I feel like this was movie. This movie in particular was less about Godzilla and Ghidorah, more about Haruo given with what, Given what I said earlier about about him being the false messiah led by Metfees, I can see why a lot of Godzilla fans probably didn't like it too much. It, uh, not enough monster action and too much human interactions. I I will admit, I thought Metfees speaking to Haro uh, through his mind and uh, humans in the Hotuos watching Godzilla uh, monitoring his body temperature and everything, I, I really... I will admit, I thought that that was being dragged on a little too much. and I, I do too. I, I feel yeah, like I less would have been more, but I guess the writers or directors imagined how much more more would have been instead. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I liked the fight in this. I feel like GJ should really be the one saying this, but, you know, Godzilla has always been a metaphor, right? And not always 
do is this metaphorical fight uh, manifest itself as a rousing sequence of fisticuffs between two giant monsters. Yes. Yes. This was more about a metaphor or like a, a moral philosophical fight. It, it was a struggle, an internal struggle, which is why you don't see that, that uh, the brawling as much. You see the, the, the grappling, the, mm-hmm. uh, the grappling, like you actually see Godzilla attempting to grapple with this thing much like Haruo and Mephis were on the top of their sacrificial mountain type deal thing, having their own grapple match where Metfees is trying to convert and <laughs> convert Haruo and Haruo's struggling with that. And I thought that it was a, a very unique way to present a final boss fight. As if Godzilla and King Ghidorah's struggle was just a mirror of, of what was happening on the, on the mountaintop. Yeah. It was, it was just how, how, how you because you can't, you can't really, uh, these moral and philosophical implications, they're not tangible, right? No. no. And you need something to kind of go along with that to, and I felt, I felt like the struggle between Godzilla and King Ghidorah, or who I affectionately call the golden noodle is <laughs> what you see from them. Yeah. No, I would. And agree I thought, that. I thought, I thought, I thought that was, that was really cool. Yeah. You know, I, I get a lot of crap earlier, but I do want to hand it to this movie for the way that it portrayed that struggle. And I really liked that. Here, here. I enjoy, I enjoyed a different type of Godzilla fight. Cause like we've been saying for the past few episodes, if you just take the human characters out of a Godzilla movie, you just got a brawl. And what fun is that? It gets boring, honestly. It does. It does. I, it, it gets boring. I, I don't, I couldn't watch, like, there's a lot of fans out there just like, I just want to watch a lizard punch a monkey. Um, And great, you got it. But I, for me, there's not anything to go back to. If you only have that, you have a great, you know, wrestling match, like a boxing fight or something like that. It's almost like it's the difference between watching a film that you have investment in dramatically versus rewatching a sporting event that you've already seen. And I know some people like rewatching like old football games or something like that. I'm not one of those people, but um, I don't know. It's you. I, I have no interest in rewatching sporting events at all. You don't go I know, back and rewatch races. Uh, I rewatch races for technical reasons, not not to be aroused by the <laughs> race that it was. So no, I know I uh, I'm with you that I enjoyed the brawl in or the struggle rather on a a very symbolic and high stakes kind of way. I just realized something. Uh, Dave, you, you, you called uh, Ghidorah the golden noodle, right? The golden noodle. I, I affectionately <laughs> called him the golden noodle. I, I just, it just occurred to me, Ghidorah is Exif's Pokemon. Okay. <laughs> is that the second Pokemon <laughs> reference we've had in this, <laughs> this episode? <laughs> this, is a, this is basically a Pokemon movie, just very darker and edgier and more philosophical. Everybody's got their own Pokemon. 
and Ash finally up. kills himself. So how could you not like this exactly. movie? Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the Hirudo had Butterfree. <laughs> Charizard wouldn't looking that good in this movie. Saw that burn. Oh, <laughs> uh, I think we've... Uh... <laughs> the XF was Team Rocket. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Go on. <laughs> uh, I think I think we've uh, we've hit our first impasse on the drift space. Two versus two. Yeah, it is interesting. That's made for an interesting episode. Yeah, like Dave pointed out, a Godzilla episode, nonetheless. Well, and you know what? To me, this is what that's the kind of conversation that uh, got the better Godzilla movies thrust upon the audience. I, I saw someone mention. At one point in time, they were talking about Godzilla Singular Point, and they weren't real hot on it. And he said the phrase, you know, I don't really watch uh, Godzilla for this kind of thing. And I'm sitting there going, well, maybe we should just find new reasons to watch Godzilla then or expand upon those reasons. Because you know, the, the franchise is uh, 60 plus years old and 65, I think. And I think we're running out of ideas. Well, <laughs> Yeah. I think that well, always space Godzilla. Shut up. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't we still have to cover that? Shut up. Um, I think that this movie is actually an example that of the series not running out of ideas because it can go in different directions. It can go different ways. It doesn't always have to be just a monster brawl. It can be about very different, interesting things. And this is this is just one example of it. So we have. As usual, we're, we're getting more and more questions these days on we're Twitter. We're popular. Uh, gee, well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Not as popular as Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget, guys, live stream next week. Expecting 500 baptisms. No. His, his uh, show got pulled because the Catholic Church filed a uh, copyright claim. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Can we say too soon? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question number one, uh, this comes from the, uh, the podcast from Odo Island. Uh, it said, Oh my, so many thoughts in your opinion is Haruo supposed to be a failed or flawed hero. And uh, his, their second question is where does the, we've been dead for 40 seconds. Ghidorah scene rank in terms of badass Godzilla scenes. If it's badass at all. What the 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 scene on the the ship the bridge when King Ghidorah was like messing with space time? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. and they said that they've uh, all life signs on the bridge had been gone for forty seconds, yeah. <laughs> which is a really terrifying. To me, that was I can't decide which was more terrifying: the drink, the Kool Aid scene, or the moment knowing that you're dead because. You know, it, 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 it's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. You've gotten that confirmation from the distortion in space time. Attack of the golden noodle. Ramen will do that to you, especially mm -hmm. cheap ramen. I think the first question, I don't think we've really talked much about Haruo and uh, <laughs> yeah. his. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why, why don't we dive into that subject? 
Yeah, I hope the podcast from Odo Island is satisfied with uh, the, <laughs> the last hour of discussion on that one. The only uh, discussion. Thanks for your question. <laughs> Oddly enough, it was our entire topic. Of course, it occurred to me that if a hero isn't flawed, then he's not really a hero, is he? He's just a useless Mary Sue, or in a guy's case, Gary Sue. I mean, sorry. Hmm. Okay, then. Do you think he failed, Rebecca? No, I... I think from Haruo's perspective, he's he's viewed as flawed and made many mistakes from his own decisions. I feel that the best choices he made ended up costing him something valuable, and failure is just another stepping stone to success. <laughs> I, 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 right. I read that on a poster. Uh, <laughs> no it doubt, sounds with, like it. No doubt with puppy dogs in a basket. Um, <laughs> all right, so just just yes no qu- answers. Did Haruo fail? No, I don't think he did. JR, did Haruo fail? Yes. Dave, did Haruo fail? Have I not been clear? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. As for the the scene where King Ghidorah attacks the Atrium, destroys the Atrium, what do you guys think? Well, I, I had to ask about that, so I'm not... Yeah, it clearly yes. didn't stick with you, JR. <laughs> it, was, it was definitely one of those, did I just hear that correctly moments? So I had to go back and uh, I like record it and be like, yeah, they just said they died forty minutes or forty seconds ago. Yeah, that's yeah, terrifying. That was, that's awful. <laughs> Way to like, announce their death. I think I think the notion of having an awareness of your own death is—it's not the most terrifying thing in this movie for me. Okay. I'll say that. All right, all right. Uh, this one comes from Nathan, uh, Monster Island Film Vault. Ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> Would you say the ending is nihilistic? Why or why not? Gosh, we really haven't talked about the ending, guys, have we? Instead of giving a why or why why not, let's go yes, no again. Rebecca. Just listen to the whole episode again. God. (laughs) Is it nihilistic? Yes or no? That's a little too vague. Nihilistic to to who? To Haro? To Medfis? That's... That's true. Okay. Do you think Haro's actions were nihilistic? Let's go with that. No, I don't. Do you think Do you think Metfiz's uh, actions were nihilistic? Absolutely. Yes. They <laughs> <laughs> are. Do you think Haro's actions were nihilistic? Yes. Do you think Metfiz's uh, um, slightly worse? Slightly worse. All right, Dave. Do you feel Metfiz's actions were nihilistic? Yes. Do you think Haro's actions were nihilistic? Yes. All right, G, do you think Metfiz's actions were nihilistic? Yes. Do you think Haruo's <laughs> actions were nihilistic? No. All right. <laughs> <laughs> and for the next question, yes, it was a nihilistic ending. <laughs> I, I want to clarify, though. I really want to clarify because there's, there's aspects of nihilism that I don't think apply to Haruo. Okay. That's, that's all I'll say. Okay. All right. Um, this one comes from Michael on the Kaiju Groupie podcast. Uh, he, he's, he's asking, why does G hate every Godzilla film except this one in the Boss commercial? Um, <laughs> because this one didn't have a nihilistic ending. Yeah, no. <laughs> you know, that reminds me. I, I, I really feel like we need to talk about the ending real quick. <laughs> So, so is the answer nihilism? 
nihilism. Okay, all right, just not all right, nihilism, Michael. But nihilism. <laughs> I'll say this much though, kind of just because it kind of reminded me, this is my favorite of the three anime trilogy films, um, by far. And the discussion we had, not simply just the topic, but the discussion in general, is is largely why I like it so much. And I do like where Haru's character ended. So yeah, this is probably my favorite of the films. Henry from It Came From a Monster Movie. I consider this one of the absolute true-to-form interpretations of Ghidorah. Do you guys feel the same? It seems this is the first Ghidorah to walk the walk and talk the talk. Huh. Hmm. Who would like to go first on this one? Well, as the resident expert on Ghidorah. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, <laughs> How many heads does he have again, Dave? Yeah, I was, I, I've, I've, been, I've been waiting to say that. I was like, as soon as they brought in Ghidorah, I was like, ooh, I get to rub that in G's face again. <laughs> it was a very uh, terrifying interpretation of him because he existed out of our plane of existence, I guess. Yeah, he's like this interdimensional being, and Godzilla couldn't touch him. He couldn't. You can't really do anything to him. You can't help it. He is inevitable, and not like Thanos, inevitable who can be stopped. Like, just like legitimately inevitable. Uh, unless, unless you break Metfi's ceramic eye, that's uh, and that's terrifying. Yeah, was it Jr. Mm. <laughs> I yeah, totally agree. This was the first Ghidorah I was actually felt like there's some consequences behind him because like i i love what they did with just his whole arc and his whole like the gravity attack i that we know from every other godzilla movie they're like hey what if we take that concept and just apply it to him everywhere like not interdimensional can't touch him able to pick up godzilla when he's not physically there i mean yeah, he's he's terrifying. Rebecca. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh I liked how they gave him more more eyes and actually looked something from a different universe. So like I like how he glowed beautifully, but also was also dark and demonic at the same time, giving us sort of how gold is beautiful and, and beautiful to the eyes, but at the same time hollow and empty. I thought this was a really, really good interpretation of Ghidorah. I will say that it's not, this isn't a traditional interpretation of King Ghidorah, clearly, and that's what largely upsets fans. I've taken to a lot of the non-traditional interpretations of the character. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed the good guy version that we saw in 2001's Godzilla Mothra King Ghidorah. But if we're going to go the villain route of King Ghidorah, this is definitely a, a top-tier interpretation of the character. I personally was really disappointed with the villain uh, take in the 2019 Godzilla King of the Monsters. I feel like when you set up a villain in any film or story, if you set up a villain and say, oh, the protagonist of the story has defeated him before, <laughs> then you immediately neuter the stakes. Well, he's beaten him before. Why, why should I be worried now? And uh, I also thought I also thought that the King of Dorn in that movie was introduced way too early, uh, not enough buildup, and a lot of talk from the characters. The characters would just talk constantly about how like they have a a legendary rivalry and all this stuff. And but we didn't really see King of Dorn do much. 
We didn't see him destroy worlds or anything like that. He just had all these other monsters do his bidding. We didn't see him level a city like the Showa King Ghidorah or anything like that. This King Ghidorah, I mean, there was no city to level, but this King Ghidorah was taking down a Godzilla that has already been established as borderline indestructible by the last two films. You know, we we saw him, we saw Godzilla try to pull the whole Scarlet Godzilla form that didn't work. Uh, Godzilla's ray doesn't affect him. His hand goes right through him. I, I think it's terrifying that he distorts space time the way he does. I find it terrifying that you can drink the Kool-Aid and his shadow takes chunks out of you. Yeah, that was really... Uh, yeah. <laughs> the fact that he's from another dimension and that we can't... We have no devices that can read him or his existence is terrifying. They did a great job of executing the terror of King Ghidorah in this movie. And in terms of elevating him as Godzilla's greatest nemesis, this interpretation probably did a better job of it than anyone prior. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Henry. I'm with you. It was a nihilistic ending. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the ending. <laughs> no, yes, yes, no. Okay, moving on. Uh, well, that's all. That's it for that. Do you guys have anything else? Any final thoughts on Planet Eater? You know, I think we should talk about the ending. Oh, okay. Go on. Uh, you know, I think it was really selfish of him to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to talk about more. Uh, nice closing song. Yeah, that was nice too. Yeah. Meh. <laughs> <laughs> Meh. All right. Let's go in for our. Uh, Perfect pitch, poorly pitch. All right. Was it Rebecca? Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so last episode's perfectly poorly pitched was this. A girl could have had a normal life. If her dad had just have a damn map. Dora the Explorer. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. Tomb Raider. So, so too- oh, that's going- <laughs> <laughs> It's the same thing, right? He's <laughs> 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 got I- a point. I'm, I'm, yeah, I mean, I was going to say Tomb Raider, but Dave has, yeah, okay. (laughs) JR? I I have no idea. The answer is Spirited Away. No, no, no. You can't can't do do that. (laughs) No. (laughs) I quit. I quit. No. Oh, my gosh. Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm legitimately angry now. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, she, her dad got lost, and he didn't. He made the wrong turn, and she, she could have had a normal life, but no. <laughs> I, I'm going to debate that because it's a Miyazaki film. So if it wasn't there, she probably would have been screwed up. Somewhere else. And it was a little nihilistic, if you ask me. <laughs> it was a little nihilistic, yeah. I, Dave, I agree with you there. You know, 
You know what should have happened? She should have sacrificed herself at the end to make it a <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a vulture sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have one. Oh, do you? I do, in fact. You guys ready for this? Sure. All right. A former drug lord gets in a battle with a supernatural Asian. Poorly pitched. Oh, wow. <laughs> this is... Hmm. Mm-hmm. Drug lord gets in a battle with a supernatural... Asian. A former drug lord gets in a battle with a supernatural Asian. Poorly pitched. O- okay. <laughs> <laughs> in a movie with Jackie Chan in it, because homeboy <laughs> is supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you're welcome all right let's go into fanboy 50 i'm gonna have jr go first because he's he's been teasing this for a couple of days so oh gosh here we go you ready jr yeah set go so my grandparents like to get me uh unusual stuff that i don't ask for for christmas so this is this gift is overdue i finally opened up PlayStation VR Iron Man. I've been <laughs> sitting on it for a while, and I just didn't want to open it because of all the negativity around VR. It, you know, it's actually really fun. I gotta say, it's actually really fun. Uh, minus all the cords, because I swear to you, I was less hooked up to IVs in the hospital than I was connected to this VR set. And by the way, when I mentioned... You get a headache for playing it for five minutes. I can only do the intro to the... I was like, okay, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) I do have a question. Do you plan on... I mean, given the discomfort you have, do you plan on getting more games for it? Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) It It came with a demo disc, which I will say I might actually record some. And throw up on my uh, Instagram because they're just stupid. <laughs> thought, like one of them is a job vomit, but okay, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> it's it's one of them is a job simulator, and I'm like, really? I I get enough crap at my job already. Why would I want to simulate this? <laughs> All right, Rebecca, you ready? Sure. Let's do it. Set. Go. So I'm trying to get my very first artist table at Ranger Stop and PopCon in Atlanta, Georgia underway. I'm going to be selling some of my prints, of my drawings, of Power Rangers, and other subjects. And I would like to draw out for people a little quick drawings, obviously not too big, not too much. As I said before, I never had my very own artist table at a convention, and I signed a form, and... Hopefully they'll get back to me and I can purchase one. It sounds like a lot of fun and a wonderful opportunity. And I've always wanted to try it out. Hopefully it'll work out. And in the meantime, I'm going to be busy drawing some Power Ranger themed artwork to get ready. And if it doesn't work out, there's always next time. What are you laughing at? (laughs) Just the amount you're trying to stretch the... <laughs> you didn't you want to bring to up. Me. You didn't want to bring up the T-shirt, Rebecca. I've never heard someone speak in double spaced before. 
<laughs> real estate on a page. No, but back up, back up. Like, you really want to bring up the T-shirt? Well, I don't. I mean, we we could. I don't want to. Yeah, ta- I'm asking about the freaking T-shirt because I flipped out Let's about that. Let's do this. You Let's brought out this. you brought out a little biscuit all the time. Let's bring out the T-shirt. Not all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Just like one no. time. You 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 proudly announce little biscuit. But you won't announce that you sold artwork to Austin St. John? Oh, that cat's out of the bag. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Do you not want that? Do you not want that to? No, be no, it's fine. Included? I yes, I did sell artwork to Austin St. John, the original Red Ranger of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and yes, he has contacted me to ask for another print, and he. He is also going to be at the con and, well, said that he, he's looking forward for me to being there. So I guess that's a that's a check that I'm going to be there. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I hope so. And he, I hope so. Oh, yeah. He also uh, used one of my artwork on his uh, T-shirts, the Tyrannosaurus sword. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Why does Rebecca get two fanboy 50s? <laughs> 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 it's a it's a fanboy one fifty for Rebecca. It, it, when you when you're when it's your podcast, you get this uh... <laughs> creators' privileges. Yeah. All right, Dave. You ready? Yes, mine's very short. So get ready to stop the watch. <laughs> Set. Go. I want to talk about shoestring French fries real quick. I am sorry. Steak and Shake, Freddy's, what is wrong with your french fries? I am insulted every time I go to your establishment and I get a steak burger and some french fries, or so I think. These are the most insulting french fries ever. (laughs) What are you trying to do? You can do so much more with potatoes and the, the noble potato. Why? Why must you do this to it? Mm. <laughs> it's 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 a it's a point of contention for me. The end. Bank my time. I'm sure I'll need it later. I... Did you even start it? Fanboy rant. Um, <laughs> I don't. God. All right. Well, that just gives me more inspiration there. Yeah. You need to draw <laughs> for future fanboy fifties. Little French fry. <laughs> useless <laughs> <laughs> little crinkle cut french fry am I supposed to pick my teeth with it or eat it <laughs> oh. anyway uh, G you ready uh, yeah let's go alright on your mark yes set go so recently it was revealed that uh, the there will be dinosaurs in, in Jurassic World Yay. Oh my god! <laughs> That's it. <laughs> yeah, there uh, are going to be dinosaurs under dinosaur on, tour, on your right? dinosaur tour, and th- th- there will be dinosaurs in Jurassic World with feathers <gasps> this time. Now, I did not realize that this was such a big deal to the paleological dinosaur-loving fandom. I, I guess. Um. You want to see some people lose their minds? Just hit up any social media and watch these guys argue about feathered dinosaurs in Jurassic World. It is hilarious. 
<laughs> Time. I, I... <laughs> oh didn't, didn't the Raptors have feathers on them in Jurassic Park 3? I thought so. I thought Apparently they did not enough. <laughs> Apparently they were supposed to take flight. I... I don't know. Uh, it's just funny to watch. As as long as we're arguing about old stuff like that, can we talk about Pluto again? Oh, please. <laughs> Absolutely. We don't bring out Pluto enough. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you guys so much for playing along with our discussion about Godzilla, the planet eater. I am G. You can find me on Twitter at G-Man of Mysterio, and you can check out my substack called Deferential Wrath of Rusting Markalite Cannon at markalite.substack.com. And I'm Dave. I do another podcast with my wife called Pizza and Parsecs, and you can check us out at pizzaandparsecs.com. And I'm JR. The Instagram is littlemancosplay. The Twitter is littleman underscore says one. Come talk nerd to me. And I'm Rebecca. If you'd like to check out some of my artwork, I got a brand new Facebook page and a brand new logo, and commissions are open. You can... Still find me on the Linktree app, linktr.ee slash reb.hudge. And we are The Drift Space. Take a look at our show at bit.ly slash tdslinks, where you can find us on all the podcatchers that you would like. If you liked this episode, make sure you share it with friends, repost, retweet, and rewind us. Also, hit us up on uh, iTunes. Give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. Uh, you can say hello to us on our socials at the Drift Space and argue with us there. Thank you again, and nihilistically, always stay strapped. In a nihilistic way. In a nihilistic <laughs> way. <laughs> nihilistic. <laughs> nihilistic.